remain standing, but before I pray, which I was going to go right into, I just want to recall that uh, third stanza of that hymn and the beautiful words there. They just struck me this morning more than I think ever before, and I probably sung the hymn a hundred times. O comforter, draw nigh, near, excuse me, within my heart appear, and kindle it, thy holy flame bestowing. And you know, just as we're getting to the Lord's ascension and Pentecost, just focus on those words. They're beautiful. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today, we see so many seemingly important announcements from Jesus that we may feel overwhelmed. We pray for the wisdom to sort through what he said so that we may apply these thoughts to our lives to allow us to conform more closely to the way you would have us be. And we pray in his most holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Our gospel lesson today, read so beautifully by Deacon Bob, is from the beloved disciple John. And it's replete with what appear to be what I'm calling announcements from the Lord. As I told you last week, chapters 13 through 17 of John's gospel are known as the farewell discourse or the farewell address. And this is part of that. We really must see this as essential material to try to understand because these are some of the last words of Jesus before his passion and subsequent return to his Father in heaven. Indeed, we are obliged to pay particular attention to what we read here. Let's look at the series of announcements and then dig more deeply into one of them. As he has related previously, Jesus announces that he's returning to his Father. Continuing on, he states that this is to the advantage of the disciples, that his leaving is good news for them, whether they can see that or not. He points out that the coming of the Holy Spirit cannot take place until and unless he does leave. Then, there is that inscrutable, I think inscrutable, section where Jesus elaborates on what the Holy Spirit will do in terms of convincing or convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And finally, in verses 14 and 15, he makes what my New Testament professor called a staggering claim. The New International Version, which I hope some of you have and look at once in a while, has it that the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And then, here it is, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Wow. I would agree that this is a staggering pronouncement. But as believers, which I hope all of us in this room are, because you're here, we should see this as simply more certification that Jesus is indeed God's Son. And there's two more things to note here. The Trinitarian language, which I won't go into now, that would be another sermon. 
and the clear insights of John regarding Jesus and his relationship to his father. John, remember, was reflecting in writing at a later time than the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke. But he has this uncanny ability to unpack the unique relationship between Jesus and his father. And I can't help but allude, maybe I did this before, but I don't remember. I can't help but to allude to our trip to Greece, where we went to Patmos, where John sat in this cave and did his writing. And I can close my eyes and just see that. If you ever get over there, be sure you go to that cave. It's fantastic. Can you just see how much is going on here? Often, one as a preacher must scrape for material to come up with a good sermon. But there's enough stuff here <laughs> for many sermons. Well, those are the announcements, and I should now like to spend a little time on that rather complicated middle portion where Jesus speaks of convincing the world. And finally, I'll give you a little preview of what the coming of the Holy Spirit means for us, or what I think. So, just what does our Lord mean when he talks about convincing or convicting the world? We must realize that the world here is his Jewish opponents. Recall earlier in John 9 that the Jews called Jesus a sinner. And so Jesus here is emphasizing that the Holy Spirit will correct this misstatement, setting things straight, and show how the Jews are the ones who are sinning by not believing in Jesus. Someone has said that the Holy Spirit is a light that reveals this particular grievous sin to man. Let me offer a quote from a sermon on the subject by that very celebrated preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He says, for a man thinks, well, if I've not believed in Christ, that's a pity, perhaps. But still, I was never a thief or a liar or a drunkard or unchaste. Unbelief is a matter of very little consequence. I can set that square anytime. But the Holy Spirit makes a man see that not to believe in Christ is a crowning, damning sin, since he that believeth not hath made God a liar. Strong stuff, Teddy. Is that perfectly clear? Next, in this difficult-to-understand portion, Jesus adds that the Holy Spirit will convince the world concerning righteousness. For help there, I went to William Barclay, whom I've mentioned many times, that well-respected Presbyterian commentator. He notes that it's the Holy Spirit that convinces men of the sheer righteousness of Christ, backed by the fact that Jesus rose again and went back to his Father. Jesus' opponents judged Jesus wrongly in John 19. Do you remember when Jesus was being sentenced to crucifixion? The Jews insisted that their law demanded death for anyone 
claiming to be the Son of God. But with his return to his Father, he is vindicated. Not the Father, Jesus is vindicated. He is, in fact, the Son of God. The Jews have judged incorrectly. Their justice is proved to be unjust. Finally, and this to me is the most difficult of the three convictions or convincings. This is the convincing or convicting. The NIV, by the way, says convicting, and other versions say convincing. I'll let you decide what you think is the best. Anyway, the third is convincing or convicting the world of judgment. Jesus says that the prince of this world is the one who is judged. It is at Jesus' glorification because of his death, his resurrection, and ascension that the devil is judged. And this judgment condemns the world. Again, speaking of his Jewish opponents. Because they have the devil as their father. Let me, can't talk. Let me read from John chapter 8. Jesus said to them, and this is, he was in a conversation with some Jews at this point, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now am here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? <laughs> because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. This is a very strong stuff. That's all I'm going to try to do with that difficult uh, section. And this is certainly not a complete elucidation. But at least I hope I've given you some thoughts to carry away and to ponder. If the coming of the Holy Spirit is such a beneficial thing, let me for just a moment give you some more things to contemplate and take home. There will be clearly much more on this topic as we come into the time of Jesus' ascension and Pentecost. But here are some thoughts to tickle your fancy. Just what do we get from the Holy Spirit? We get a guide for our life. And clearly, we need a guide in life because we are so prone to go astray. Although there are some guideposts along the way that should keep us from impropriety, humankind ever since the fall has a propensity to go astray. We fall into many sins, usually involving idolatry of some kind, and we do it just like falling off a log. That abundant grace with a big capital G that is God's free gift to us and is proffered by the Holy Spirit is our guide. All we have to do is ask 
for that grace. But we need to pause and reflect frequently and use the tangible guides that are available to us. What guides, you say? I speak here, as always, as a good evangelical of the importance of reading Holy Scripture frequently, at least daily, if not twice a day. I'm getting tougher. <laughs> Scripture's full of guides, the important answers to the really, really important questions are right there for the taking. And over time, if we continue to study and worship our Creator God in community as you are right this minute, we will gradually all come ever closer to the way that God would have us be. And I must point out that the coming of the Holy Spirit offers us unlimited Jesus. And we cannot get enough of that. Jesus is the way. And the more we internalize him with prayer and, very importantly for good Anglicans, receiving his body and blood in the Eucharist, the more we do this, the better off we will be. As an aside, this came to me this week. Some of you were at one of the morning masses up on Lincoln Street. I think it was Monday. But it struck me so strongly that receiving the Eucharist, receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ, changes us internally, and it does so dramatically. I felt it so strongly this particular morning after praying the prayer of humble access, which you all know. It was very, very strong. And it made me think of, of Hooker, 16th century, which some of you know about. He was what, was what I call a dynamic receptionist. He didn't think things really happened to the body and blood of Christ until it was inside us, which is kind of interesting. Think about that. That was an aside. <laughs> Finally, the Holy Spirit gives us an assignment. We, with the help of the Holy Spirit, are to evangelize unbelievers. This may be difficult for us to accept. We may see it as too much of a challenge and resent this particular gift from the Holy Spirit. But it is what it is. It's part of the package. And our loving God would not have it any other way. We have an obligation to evangelize. We need to tell folks the good news in any way that we can. Why, you ask? So that Jesus can return to earth in glory. God wants to restore the world so that it is his kingdom the way he wanted it. And this will take and has taken a lot of work. We, as mere mortals, <laughs> can only work locally unless God calls us to take to the mission field in some other part of the world. So I say, bloom where you're planted. God will honor your work. Maybe not in a financial way, but he will reward your spirit abundantly. 
And so as Jesus tells us, we must let him go so that the Holy Spirit can come and do all those things that are in his Father's great plan. And I would urge you that as you do all this, you may be thankful that he is coming. Be prayerful, be joyful, and love your God and your neighbor all the time. Amen.